You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. Take your Bible, if you will, and find the Gospel of John. We have been looking at the Gospel of John, and somewhere in my past ministry, I have preached through this section. I know that because I make notes in my margin, and and uh, evidently when I worked through this in whatever setting it may have been, I looked at John 13 as one, one message, and so um, we're not doing that today. We're going to take a a, a, a slower view of, of John chapter 13. Pastor Matt uh, worked through the first part of John chapter 13 uh, while I was awake. Have I told y'all lately I'm a grandfather now? I, did, I didn't want to dwell on that on, on the Lord's Day and Easter, but now it's the Sunday after Easter, and so um, pictures forthcoming. Um, she's going to be very gifted, by the way. I've already decided... Uh, Anyway, I've had a lot of fun with that. I do have a lot of pictures. Uh, so Matt walked through uh, John chapter 13. I want us to, to lay out what's taking place in, in John 13 and following. From, from John 13 through John 18, Jesus is spending some very close, personal, intimate time with the disciples. And as he is doing so, we must never lose fact. He knows exactly what is taking place and what is coming, what is going on, and, and what awaits him. And he also realizes that the disciples do not quite understand that. They won't understand fully until the Holy Spirit uh, is sent and their, their eyes are open to the truth of what Christ did and what that means. And so this is a very intimate time, a very serious time. We can really see over oh, these next few chapters, Jesus literally pouring his life and his heart into the disciples to help them understand and to prepare them of what is going to take place on that cross that day and then what that allows them to have through their salvation in Christ's death and burial and resurrection. So don't lose track of that. Upper room, very serious yet solemn, very intentional that Jesus is sharing these words. So we're at John chapter 13. We're going to work through John chapter 13, verse 21 and 30. Uh, again, as a reminder, each and every week I, I post on uh, my little sermon website, Pastor johnbeck.com my outline now it's not really something that you know if you're watching the message or listening to the message it, it's very clear I don't write this as me writing out a message or, or or something that necessarily can be read as more of a devotional it's just an aid for you uh, 
uh, as we walk through the text. And so it all, you can do that on a smartphone or some type of tablet, but you can go to pastorjohnbeck.com and my notes this morning and my notes on Sunday night uh, are always available. So we're here at John chapter 13, beginning in verse 21. And here's what I want us to think about as we walk through verses 21 through 30. I want us to look at Jesus' heart and Judas's heart and to look at the heart of betrayal. John 13, 21, after saying these things, and that would have been uh, John 13, 1 through 20, uh, the idea that Jesus washing to the feet of the disciples, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. And he testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke, and one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table close to Jesus. Now, uh, Jewish culture would have had this picture of us not necessarily like sitting around grandma's dining room, living, you know, dining room table and chairs. There could have been a, a low table and more of a lounging atmosphere around a low table. I've even seen some artist depictions of laying on a little, like a little pillows and types of things so there would have been a, a little bit like a, a reclining so when you see that that is what it's referring to the disciples looked at one another uncertain whom he spoke one of his disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at the table close to Jesus so Simon Peter motioned him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking so the disciple leaning back against Jesus said to him Lord who is it and so Jesus had said, one of you will betray me. Peter picks up on that. Peter's always quick to speak. He's a man of action. He looks at John, who's close to Jesus, and says, hey, ask him. Ask him who it is. So the disciple leaning back against Jesus said, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. And so when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to him, meaning to, to Judas, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag that Jesus was telling him, by what we need for the feast, go buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Verse 30. Very sad. All week, it's a, it's a sad verse to me. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Even in the midst of betrayal, we can trust you and trust your word, and trust your plan. And Lord, as we look at the hearts of this moment of betrayal, I ask that you would open up our hearts as individuals this morning so that we may see you for who you are and that we would understand who we are in relationship to who you are. And Lord, I pray this morning that there would not be an individual walk out of this building tonight 
walk out of this building this morning with a heart like Judas. But that we would hear your word and understand your word and have a heart for our Savior. And this, Lord, I pray and I ask in your name. Amen. Well, what I want to do this morning is just walk through some of the main statements throughout this verses and looking at Christ and looking at Judas and, and just taking a few moments and look at this section and look at the heart of the matter, the heart of this betrayal. And even as we sit and think about a, an introduction into this, the idea that someone would betray Jesus Christ. But yet at the same time, from the beginning, someone was going to betray Jesus Christ. So we see a, an overarching big picture of God's eternal purpose and plan that was going to happen, but yet we see in an individual a real-life decision that he made. Where it is God's plan, but yet he is very responsible. Let's look at some of these statements and Learn from them. Statement one. Notice there in verse 21 that Jesus said that uh, we, are, we understand that Jesus was troubled in spirit. There's a couple of other times that we see this in John's gospel. Look at John chapter 11, verse 33. John chapter 11 and verse 33. It was the raising of Lazarus from the dead. John eleven thirty three. 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had come with her weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and he was greatly troubled. And we see Jesus is completely God and the deity of Christ throughout the gospel of John specifically for us. But we see Jesus who is completely man and he said that he was greatly troubled. And, and as we look at Lazarus' tomb, we don't know exactly the every detail of why he was troubled. We just have to assume what was going on. He was troubled because of Lazarus' death. He was troubled over their, their lack of hope. He was troubled over just the, the fallenness of man and what death represents. And we see our Savior. He was greatly troubled. Look at John 12, 27. John chapter 12 Verse 27, and he says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. As we see Jesus anticipating the, the death on the cross in Calvary, we see Jesus with a, a troubled spirit. And then we consider Again, that Jesus was troubled in his spirit. We can only imagine, but we can clearly see, I think, what is taking place here. We see, Jesus as a, we see Jesus' heart, and we see a man that is troubled. We see God, but we see God in the flesh. He's troubled over the betrayal. He's sitting at a table. 
celebrating the, there's, you know, there's, we don't know explicitly exactly some of the things in Scripture. Some people think this is the Lord's Supper. Some people think this is a meal before the Passover Supper. It, it, that doesn't really matter as much as this is the, the event surrounding Passover, and here's a meal of Passover, and Jesus is troubled over this betrayal. I believe Jesus was also, we could say, troubled over, think about this now, because sometimes we just, that's why I want to take a, a slower approach to this. He's looking at a man that he knows is going to spend an eternity in a place called hell. Have you thought about that? Jesus knew his destiny. But yet it was Jesus who cared for him and knew him and called him by name. And you think about, that would naturally, the, the, the Jesus I see in Scripture, I think he would have been troubled over knowing what Judas was about to do and the outcome of that which is about to happen. And it says that he was troubled. I think also, and we see this later in the prayer of Garden of Gethsemane, I think he's anguishing over Calvary. If we think about what Jesus did on Calvary from a theological perspective, think about a sinless man, okay? Think about you and I. Did anybody sin this week? Am I the only one? Did anybody sin this week and you know it and the Holy Spirit convicted you of it and grieved you over it? Sometimes, like Judas, we can just keep sinning and never think anything of it. But when we're a born-again child of God and we're seeking the face of God and the will of God and the way of God and the purpose of God, when we sin as the child of God, we know it and it grieves us and we, we become heavy over it. Jesus is going to the cross and is bearing the sins of all that are his for all eternity. And for the first time in his life, he is going to feel the weight and the guilt of sin, of your sin. It's so theologically heavy, I, don't even, doesn't even, I can't even understand it. But it's very real. And he was troubled because it, it's like the event has been coming since the Gospels. And as Jesus came out of the water from John the Baptist, he literally is making his way to the cross. We don't know about what Jesus did as a little child. We don't know what Jesus did as a teenager. But we know what Jesus did as an adult as he made his way to Calvary. Since he came up out of the waters being baptized by John the Baptist, Jesus Christ knew he was going to the cross. And we are talking about a couple of days before that event and Jesus' heart and spirit were troubled. He was troubled in spirit and he testified, truly, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. In my readings this week, I think it was A.W. Pink pointed out, one of you Think about that. The personal nature of this betrayal. We see Jesus' heart as he was troubled. Now we see a sense of Jesus' heart. And it's this personal heart that Christ has. One of you. There are so many things that we can consider as we think about this. But we're getting to this personal aspect of who Judas was. 
Jesus called Judas to be one of his disciples. Now think about this for a moment. Judas was called by God to follow Jesus to betray him. Now, none of us have the ability to know someone's heart's thoughts and motives, even though we think we do. That's a very dangerous place to be when we think, I know what they were thinking. I know what they're doing. We, we don't have that capability. But Jesus did. And the moment he called Judas and Judas said, hey, I'm good with money. Why don't you let me be over the money? Because I believe in your kingdom. I'll allude to this a little longer. I, in a minute, I believe in your kingdom, Christ, and I'll follow you and let me be in charge of the money and I will follow you for all eternity. And Jesus said, come and follow me. At that moment, he knew that he was the betrayer. One of you, I think it's that way when the word of God is preached. I believe that God is literally as the word is proclaimed and the, and the spirit of God is in our midst. It's every time the word of God is open, it's like one of you. Every time I open up the Bible, I understand the Bible was written for me. The Bible is personal. Salvation is personal. My relationship with Christ is personal. When I follow Christ and I come to Christ in repentance and faith, that is a personal calling. The word said that God, before the foundations of all creation, called and wooed me. In my mother's wound, he said, he knew me but when I sin against God and when those reject God and those who do not follow God it is personal against God I got a, a text this morning it was kind of one of those I could tell it was not it was a, it was a, a broad text to a lot of people I could tell it was copy and paste because there's no way this person could type that text to all the pastors he knows but he's a uh, the, the sending missionary over South Florida, Pastor James Peoples. He's over the South Florida Initiative with the Florida Baptist Convention and the North American Mission Board. And, and I am personal friends with him, but you could tell it was a, a big thing. And he said, hey, guys, don't be discouraged today. It's not going to be as full this Sunday as last Sunday. Don't take it personal. Just stand up and preach the word. That's a good word. You know what I had to do years ago? It's not personal. When someone doesn't respond to when I share the faith, when someone does not respond to a worship service, I know you sit there and you think, I wish more people would come to, come to, come to faith in Christ for Pastor John and Pastor Matt. I feel so bad for them. Don't feel bad for us. They're not rejecting me. They're not not coming to church because of me. They're not not going to another church because of somebody else. They're not doing what they're doing because of me. It's personal between them and the Lord. I've always loved the offering. I know that sounds kind of strange. I should be talking about the offering when everybody was here on Easter, right? I've always liked the offering and what it represents because I've been on a journey of what it means to be a faithful giver. And I tipped God for so many years, and one day God says, hey, you, me? Yes, yeah, John Beck. This is between you and I, John. 
my giving became personal at that point. And I realized that my giving is nothing about who knows or who doesn't know or, or this church or this, that, and the other. I give because of my relationship with Christ. I witness because of my relationship with Christ. I go to church because of Christ. I study the word because of Christ. That's exciting to me and that's liberating for me that everything with Jesus Christ and the Lord is personal. He knows me. He loves me. He knows me. As we look at this phrase, one of you will betray me, in the end of verse 21, I wrote in my notes, we, will, we, we are seeing is the ultimate example of knowing Jesus Christ and not knowing Jesus Christ. Phrase number three. It is whom will I will give this morsel? And so we see in verse, so the disciples said, leaning back to Jesus, and, and, and I, I love the personal dynamics that we get to see as, as through the Holy Spirit, John has written this letter. I mean, I could almost see some of us, you know, sitting in there with Jesus and, and, and just saying, you know, hey, Peter, ask John, who is it? What's going on? Who would betray him? We see the, the real personal, real dynamics of just following Christ. Which one is it? And Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread. And I said it a while ago, and I, I repeat myself. What we see here is a heart of Jesus Christ that is always known. One of the greatest gifts I think I realized as a pastor, it took me a little while to figure this out. I've got to understand what it is God is calling me to do and how to do it. For the longest time, I wanted to be the, the TV preachers of the world and to do this, that, and the other and to mimic this person, to mimic that person, to be this person, to do that. And then it dawned on me, I've got to be who God has called me to be as I walk daily with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I say that for this reason. Jesus knew from the beginning Judah's heart. He knew from the beginning John's heart. He knew from the beginning Peter's heart. And Jesus knows our heart. Look, look at John chapter 6. This is not some event that they were just sitting around the room and Jesus saying, I don't know, who is it? This isn't a situation that just something happened one day that Judas says enough is enough. This is a situation that Jesus says from the very beginning, I have known who you are and what it is I have allowed and called to happen. Look at John 6, 64. But there were some who did not believe. So Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and those who it was who would betray him. From the beginning, Christ knew that. And he says, it is to whom I will give this morsel of bread. Look at verse 70. Jesus answered to them. This is John 6. John 6, 70. Did I not choose you the 12 and yet one of you? And some, I've, I've actually, somebody one time in, in a different setting was, was talking about, was Judas a believer, a backslidden Christian? And what happened? G Judas is of the devil. 
Somebody said, and I remember the person saying, how do you know that? John 6, 70, Jesus said, did I not choose the 12 and yet one of you is a devil? Jesus knows you. From the beginning, he is known. When you think about our world that we live in, how many of us get discouraged? I use myself more as a positive example of just trusting in who God is, and he knows us from the beginning. But think about this from another standpoint. Have you ever thought about the world that we live in? How many of you get discouraged when you think about the world and where we're headed? It's okay. This hasn't caught God off guard. When there's a national election, God is not up in heaven with his fingers crossed. Amen? Oh, me? That gives me hope when I think about not only the past, but the future. He's got this. You know, a discussion that comes up often with pastors, what is the future of a church like this? with a, a sanctuary and a building and property. The, the, the thing is going that we're going to see churches like this in, in more metro, bigger areas become more satellite churches and, and you know storefront churches and church plants and house churches, and that may be the case. I mean, 30 or 40 years from now, I, I'll throw that out there where I won't be here. I like to not worry about stuff. I'll just say I won't be here. There might be a business meeting and we decide, you know what? 100 years from now, we probably don't need this much space. Instead of having one church here in Avon Park, why don't we liquidate and then send missionaries all over Highlands County? Well, I have some pastor friends that just sit around and worry about that. I'm like, why are we worrying about something that is in God's hands? Does God not love his church? Does God not love his people? Does God not love those that are his? Has God not known from the very beginning who's going to betray him and who's going to follow him? Does God not know from the beginning when he was going to die on that cross? And the answer is yes. Man, that, that is liberating. Did God not know I was going to have such a cute granddaughter? He's got this. And even in the, in the world that we live in where people are so opposed to the gospel and people are so hateful toward the things of God, he's got it. That's between them and God. What I'm going to control is what I can do between me and the Lord. It was part of God's purpose and plan all things a part of God's purpose and plan. I think we forget that God has written the story from beginning to end. Have you ever thought about that? We sing. We sing better than what we believe. Have you ever noticed that? We sing words. Well, some of the songs we sing may not be that good. But a lot of the songs that we sing, we sing like we mean it. But yet when it comes to applying it into our life, we forget it. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's everything. We know that. There's a start. There's a finish. He's coming one day. He's got a plan. It's going to be okay. 
Which one is going to betray you, Jesus? The one I give this morsel of bread to. And he looked at him. And he gave him the morsel of bread. Back to John 13. So when he had dipped that morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered him. Now we see Judas' heart. Look at Matthew 26. Matthew 26, verse 14. Matthew 26, verse 14. We see a little picture of what was taking place earlier, earlier, earlier. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, Will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now, some have said that this meal, that the meal that we're looking at in John was not the Passover, that the meal took place before Judas betrayed him. Because here in Matthew, we see Judas betray him. Then we had the Passover. I don't have time to figure that out because I wasn't there. But I will simply say this. Judas had been thinking about this for a while. Now, I want you to think about something. I promise you, I promise you this. Judas did not one day go, there's Jesus. I'm just, in, in all of my theological understanding and looking at these gospels, this is, this, is, this is what happened, I think. Judas didn't just see Jesus one day and go, okay, that's the one I'm supposed to betray. All right, okay, that's why I was born to betray. Even though that, uh, that's, we're not talking about God's plan we're talking about what Judas understand. Judas did not go, hey, Judas, Judas, Judas of Nazareth is coming and he's looking for 12 good people. Okay, I want to be one of them because what I'm going to do is betray him. No, I don't think that's what happened. I believe Judas just had a heart that he would never see Jesus Christ for who he truly was. He was like the religious leaders. He saw Jesus and believed he was a good and a great person, but he always wanted Jesus to be what he wanted him to be. Now think about this. This is good. And the longer we live our life thinking Jesus is who we think we're going to be and we never see Jesus for who God intended him to be and we never allow God to, you know, our guides are never open to what God has revealed that who Jesus truly is, who he is from, what he came to do, what is his ministry. And the whole gospel of John, that is what Jesus has been battling with the religious leaders about. This is who I am. We don't believe that's who you are. Jesus says, I don't care what you believe about me this is who I am I believe Judas continued to make Jesus Christ in his own image he was a, a money guy he wanted Jesus to overcome the Romans he wanted to build a, a treasury he wanted political and, and power and he wanted all these things and I was sitting there this week going oh my goodness that's a typical Christian in America today I'll give Jesus a try but this better be what happens if I, if, I, if I start going to church and I make this decision for Christ, my marriage better get better, my bills better get better, my life needs to get better because that's, what, that's who Jesus is to me. 
This is a prosperity gospel, Jesus. All my troubles need to go away or I'm not going to give this Jesus a try. That's Judas. Wanting Jesus to be who he wanted him to be. And it says here, just just think about this gut-wrenching statement. Satan entered him. Look at John. Go back to John. John 12, verse 40. So John 12, verse 40. Satan had entered him. We see here the quotation from the Old Testament in Isaiah. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and they turn, and I would heal them. Do you know what had taken place here? Just like the Pharaoh's heart, Moses teaches us. His heart was hardened. Now, we're not talking about God's purpose and plan. We need to just, in my mind, this is what I do. A picture of a dry erase board, okay? And on that dry erase board, write God and then draw a line. And then, draw, and then write us. Make you a little stick person. You can make you whatever you want. I don't, under, I don't know what God is doing from the foundations and the history of the world, okay? I, I don't know what God is doing with the purpose of election and predestination and all his wise counsel. I don't know all the things that will happen. I, I don't know that because I live below that line, okay? And just because I don't live above that line doesn't mean God's will is not going to be done. Judas was going to betray Jesus. But below that line, Judas betrayed Jesus. Do you know what saddens me and terrifies me and horrifies me as a pastor that stands in a good Baptist church just 20-something years of preaching? The number of people that I have seen over my ministry, I began to make an imaginary list today. The number of people that, that, that you encourage to come to church and you finally get to come to church and, and, and they, they come to church for a little bit and there's a little bit of conviction here and a little bit of conviction there and it, it's just a season here and a season there and then all of a sudden, gone. Never to return. I mean, they don't, they don't even come Christmas and Easter. They're gone. Now, I don't know what, above that line, I don't know what God's doing. That's, that's between them and the Lord. That's God's plan, not mine. I just know what's going on this side of the plan. Something happened. Maybe it was during that invitation, that last time, and he said, you know what, I'm not doing this. I just, I, I just don't have time for this. I just, I don't know, this isn't for me. And that hardened heart became hard. The book of Romans says that God will gave them over to their mind and their wickedness. Gave them over to their passions. And Satan entered them. Boy, that'll make us pray for our loved ones a little more, won't it? Pray for 
I think one of the, let me tell you, one of the dangers I think we have as a church, and I mean this to be a positive criticism for all churches, instead of being afraid to ever question someone's activities for the Lord, like a, it'd be like so many of my family members, well, they don't go to church, I don't want to offend them. Listen, I would rather offend them than to know that they died and probably spent an eternity in hell. If I've got a family member that did something 40 years ago and I don't want to offend them, and I've been there. I've, Sharon will tell you, I've had some heated debates over Thanksgiving dressing. It's not pretty sometimes. But I would at least know that I have called into question, do you really love Jesus Christ? Would you consider the things of Christ and who he truly is? I don't know what Judas was doing, but I know that Judas' heart was hardened and Satan hidden in. I made the moment of, he lived with Christ, he ministered with Christ, he had seen the miracles, he had seen all the signs, he had seen and lived, he experienced the great I am, he experienced the seven miracles, yet would never bow his knee to Jesus Christ, his Savior and Lord. How many people believe in Jesus but have never bowed their head and their heart and their will and their life to Jesus as Savior and Lord? That was Judas. Then Jesus said to him, what are you going to do? Do quickly. Here we see Jesus' heart. After receiving the morsel of bread, he went out well, let me back up. Then he said to the mortal that centered eating him, Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, verse 27, do quickly. Here's the heart of Jesus. I'm going to hurry. The heart of Jesus says, not my will, Father, but your will. You miss that? I guarantee you, if I was Jesus, what I would do, you know what I would do? Don't go. Judas, please don't go. Judas, Okay, just hang around, okay? Don't go, don't, don't turn, don't, don't fall through with this because Judas, I don't want to die on a cross. Judas, I don't want to bleed and, and suffer. I don't want to bleed and suffer in front of my mother. I don't want to go through that agony and put them through that agony. I don't want to do all this. Judas, could you just reconsider? No, Jesus looked straight at him and said, what you're going to do, you go do quickly. Because Jesus had a heart to do the will of the Father. Even in the midst, think about this. I'll be the first one to tell you. When things go great in my life, I'm a good person to be around. You know my analogy of a tube of toothpaste? We are all a tube of toothpaste. Everything's just great until somebody squeezes us. And then all the junk comes out. Oh, Easter Sunday. Oh, oh my goodness. 500 people showed up. I got home Sunday. I said, honey, that was a, with that music and preaching, there are going to be 600 people back in here next Sunday morning. Well, not right. On a good Sunday, woo, boy, I'm glad I'm called to be a pastor. Boy, you let 4th of July roll around. Horn, what's going on here? Up. 
and down. Everything's good. The kids are great. Everything's bad. That's our life. I'm not saying fake it. I'm not saying that we don't go through tough times. I'm not saying that everything is rosy and hunky-dory. But what I'm saying is, whatever you need to do, do quickly. Lord, whatever needs to take place, just do it. That's what do quickly means. Not make this go away. Not make this easy. I tell you, a theological conversation my son had with Katie, don't tell him or her I told you this. Katie had a tough pregnancy. My son's young. He's learning. He's me, younger. And I'm a lot wiser. Very sick. Couldn't smell any food and was sick then got gallstones plus she's married to a beck so she was sitting in the in the doctor's office and the doctor was going through all the joys of what childbirthing is women that's why men don't have babies and katie made this comment well since everything has gone so bad Surely the Lord will let me have a good, great, sweet, quick birthing. Now, Brantley's young, okay? He's got good theology, but he's young. Do you know what he said? You deserve nothing. We're all fallen, and we don't deserve anything. We all are fallen and depraved. How dare you say you want a quick delivery? We all are. And I was like, son, I probably wouldn't have said that. It may be true. He said, yeah, I won't say that the second go around. I don't don't think I'll say that. But what he's saying is we don't deserve anything. Lord, I've just, I've been struggling along for this long. Surely God, make, make, we don't deserve anything. We really don't. We've got everything we need in Jesus Christ. We don't deserve anything that we think life would be easier. Jesus looked right at Jesus and said, you got to go do, you go do. Because this is the Father's will. And if I'm following the Lord Jesus Christ, if if I, and and Katie did have a 27-hour, yes. Lord, if this is your will, then this is your will. I do love you. I am following you. I am living for you. Now, sometimes God puts things in our life to get us to get his attention, and that's very good and very real. Jesus looked right at Judas' betrayer. What you need to go do, you go do, because this is the Father's will. That's good stuff right there. We can learn a lot from Jesus and trust the Father's will. After receiving the morsel, it says back in John 13, after receiving the morsel, he immediately went out and it was night. Let me, let me go real quick here. I made some thoughts in, in, in this section. I think when Mary spilled all the perfume, remember when Mary spilled all the perfume and all that money, what did you just say? Dad, gum it. You know what we could have done with that money? I'm the money guy. We're building a kingdom here. Jesus, we're building a a kingdom here. We are going to overthrow the Roman Empire and we're going to have a kingdom. And I'm going to be, I'm going to have the keys to this vast kingdom. And you're telling her just to throw it away? I think that was the straw that broke the camel's back. I'm done with this. But don't miss this. 
nobody could recognize it. You get that? Nobody. Go After receiving the order, he immediately went out. That was what broke the camel's back, I think. Straw the brother camel's back. Nobody recognized it. They're sitting around the table. Nobody got it. They heard him say that. Nobody got it. Judas fooled everybody. When he was at the table, he was at that. Nobody understood that. Now, I got to thinking, and I was reading, and got to thinking about this. You can have a wicked heart and do everything right. And no one would ever know. I've always liked Peter. You know why I've always liked Peter? I act like Peter sometimes. Even when I get home sometimes on Sunday, Sharon said, Peter, get out of that car right now and get in your room. <laughs> that mouth of yours is going to get you in so much. Get in there right now. Here's a great lesson. Judas knew how to do everything right, evidently. Everybody knew. He, had food, he fooled everybody. But his heart was wicked and Jesus knew it. Peter's heart was right, and Jesus knew it, but he kept falling all over himself. If we give Jesus our heart and we keep following him, we'll go from being the loud mouth stumbling all over himself words of Peter to one of the greatest apostles has ever been. But he's got to have your heart. He's got to have us willing to say, you are Lord Jesus Christ, my Savior and my Lord. Yes, I'm a mess. And yes, I'm still growing. But if you follow me, I will change you. Judas' heart was wicked, but he could do everything right. Jesus says, I want your heart and your life will follow. Last words, perfect timing. It was night. It was night. Look at John chapter 1, verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness hath not overcome it. It was night. When Jesus was betrayed. The light shines in the darkness. In the midst of that darkness, the light of the Lord Jesus Christ shines. And in the midst of that darkness, Jesus died on the cross. And what the world say was a victory for the darkness. Jesus used the Satan's darkness for the ultimate victory. John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus himself says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. There's no gray with Jesus. Jesus. 
there's darker light. As a matter of fact, you know what darkness is? The absence of light. How do you make a room dark? Cut the light off. Jesus said, if we walk in the light, I mean, you think about it. it, A lot of times people come up to me, good word, preacher, I enjoyed that. It's been wearing on me all week, for two weeks actually. Why do so many people walk in the dark when we have the light? Why do so many people walk in the dark when we can look and live? We don't have to walk in the dark. The dark can never overcome the dark of the light. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then John 12, verse 35. Jesus said to them, the light is coming for a little while longer. What a good word for this morning. Walk while you have the light lest the darkness overcomes you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. Think about Judas. Think about this. This is, this is, he who walks in the dark does not know where he's going. Judas betrayed Jesus. Now, we're not, we're not, we're not above the God line. We're, we're, belong, we're down here in us line. Judas made a responsible decision. And he betrayed Jesus because he was upset that Jesus wasn't what was he thought he was. Jesus wasn't what the Jewish people needed. We don't need Jesus. And Satan said, that's right, just like Adam and Eve. That's right. God said this, but this is not what he meant. If this is what he meant, you wouldn't be doing that. It's the same thing Satan told Adam and Eve. This is what God said. He's going to send a Messiah, but Jesus isn't it. And he betrayed Jesus Christ. And figuratively and spiritually and practically, he walked into the dark. Do you know how Judas ended his life? hanging from a tree with his innards spilled onto the ground. And Satan said, yes, you need to betray him. Yes, this is what you need to do because he is not who he says he needs to be. And the whole time Satan knew he was leading them to eternal death and damnation. That's what darkness does. But when you walk in the light, you have everything. Joey and I correspond usually on Tuesday mornings. We want the invitation to be. I said, I hadn't used this in a while. Puts a lot of responsibility on what we do. I've been in churches where it's been manipulated. We're going to sing one more time if you need to come. But we're going to sing in just a moment. I have decided to follow Jesus. Judas took the morsel. It was God's plan. But Judas took that morsel and immediately went out.
into darkness never to return. How about us here today? We're sitting at the table of Jesus Christ. We're sitting at the table of the word. Who are we going to follow? Jesus Christ and walk in the light or darkness and follow after Satan?